Hi guys, welcome to Uncomfortable. The goal here is to have honest conversations about the issues dividing America. And great news for you listeners, all of our episodes are now available on the TuneIn app. All the episodes available there five days early. So download the TuneIn app and listen for free. Hey guys, Alyssa here, the producer of Uncomfortable. Quick programming note for you before we begin today's episode. I know we said that we were going to bring you Abdul El Sayed's interview today. He's the Democratic candidate running for governor of Michigan. We will still bring you that next week, but we had the opportunity to interview Todd Carmichael. He's the CEO of the coffee company La Colombe. He's one of the only CEOs speaking out against the tax bill that passed in the Senate last week. Take a listen and hear why he believes that this bill might be good for him and his company, but bad for the majority of Americans. Hey guys, here in studio today, we have with us Todd Carmichael. He is the CEO of La Colombe. It's a coffee roasting, coffee product, and cafe company, Mm -hmm. we can say now. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, it's a pleasure. So we're not going to talk about coffee at all. Really? (laughs) We might a little if you work it in. (laughs) Um, We're here to talk about taxes. Taxes. Yes. Don't sound surprised by that. (laughs) But it's important to point out for everyone listening and watching, we're speaking on Friday, December 1st. Today is the day the Senate is considering the Republicans' tax reform plan. It looks likely at this point, according to what Senate leadership says, that their plan will tax. We have, or will pass rather. Mm -hmm. We have no idea what happens from there. So we're going to talk about it in the context of what we know to be true today. So far. Which could change. Right. Fair to say? Mm Okay. Very fair. So before we jump into taxes, uh, I want to know about you. We like to do okay. this here. We want to know about where you grew up. Tell me about your family. How did you come to hold the things that are important to you to be important? Right. Well, I'm glad you used the word hold. Yeah. Because I think a lot of these things that I, that I, that, you know, inspire me and, I'm, you know, that I operate around started when I was a kid. And which was in the state of Washington. Mm-hmm. I'm a farm kid, fruits and vegetables. Uh, I was uh, able to go to the University of Washington uh, to school. I was first, like many people, uh, I was the first in my family to be able to do that because I could run really far, really fast. I was a distance runner. And uh, while there, I found a job. And it was um, dragging grain sacks around in um, in a warehouse that had three cafes at the time. And it was called Starbucks. It was 1982. I've heard of it. I have too. And <laughs> what was amazing about those sacks was they weren't grain sacks that I had back home. Mm-hmm. They had different names on them, like Rwanda, Burundi, Uganda. And, and for a farm kid that's never traveled, it just sparked my imagination. And I, I love the idea that, that this product was connected to this big, big world. And I, I began dreaming about it until that time came where I went and I sought my fortune in Africa and Central and South America. So growing up on as a farm kid, yeah. was it a pretty isolated existence? Were you an only child? Like, what, what was no. how were you raised? So I had three sisters, yeah, and it was small community, but tight knit community. It wasn't an easy community. I mean, it was uh, it was the kind of the death of farming in that area, um, in early early eighties. Uh, you know, the, the governments had changed. Ronald Reagan became president, and it became very difficult for small farms to actually survive. And so that kind of sparked my my path in life to go out and find something for myself and I didn't fall very far away from the farm I mean coffee is solid it's a farm good and so I have that that beautiful kind of travel the world and and work a thing that I understand which is farming what were the things that were important to you what do you remember your mom and dad telling you growing up over and over again well you know for me it was always you know decency was really key I mean I think that's something that rural America taught me um, that being a good neighbor was super important. Mm-hmm. Playing fair in the sandbox. And these just basic ideas that 
that uh, kind of were instilled into me by my grandparents. They're Scottish people who came here, and they just had a very simple way of looking at life. And it was, you know, it was the ABCs of a, being, a, being a successful person meant, you know, doing right by the people around you. And, uh, you know, I, I never thought I would grow up to be a snowflake like I am. I mean, I'm a progressive. Is that how you self-identify? I guess I, I am a snowflake, right? I just, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> well, I just pick up yeah. terms that are used. You know, I just believe that, you know, giving back to the community is, is a part of success. And making sure that everyone has a shot at the same thing I have a shot at is, is uh, it's just something that was, in, you know, injected in me. But uh, it wasn't defined as any kind of politics until later in my life. So politics was never a thing growing up for you? It really wasn't. Yeah. You know, it's, we, we didn't sit around and debate the pros and cons of tax law or anything like that. But it was more of, you know, how to be a decent person and live a good life. And I find that if I stay on that path after a while, I'll write things like I did recently in op-eds and newspapers. I'm just really continuing on that same path. So I want to talk about that op-ed because that's why uh, you and I connected in the first place. Uh, Republicans and the president mm-hmm. call the tax plan they're proposing now a middle-class miracle. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you disagree. You wrote an op-ed about it, and the <clears throat> title of that was What Every CEO Knows But Won't Tell You About the Proposed Tax Bill. So that's what correct. is that? Yeah. Well, I mean, you could name uh, a goldfish a lion, but it's still a goldfish. Um, I think that this is really clever packaging. Uh, but, you know, behind that wrapping is a is, you know, it's a tax tax cut for corporations, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, um, particularly if you're looking to, to for a stimulus sort of pack, mm-hmm. package. If interest rates are, you know, at a certain level or the ca- investment cash is, is, is down, et cetera, or the stock market is tumbling, it'd be a great idea to give a tax break to corporations. Mm-hmm. None of those things exist. Well, what we do need actually is the, the name of the package, which is somehow giving a break to the people who are working class and middle class in this country. Now, there, you know, the slope of the, the ascent of, let's say, a company like mine, who's growing at 75, 80 percent, and there are other companies that are really skyrocketing. Um, you compare that line to the line of the income that, that's uh, entering the homes of America, which is extraordinarily flat. So which one would you think should require the stimulus? The ones like mine? or the, the flat earning. So one of the concerns, and you're not alone in expressing this concern, I should say, you're one of the very few CEOs to express this to concern. Yeah, which yeah. is why I want to dig into that a little bit as well. <laughs> but w- just for anyone who hasn't caught up on the intricacies, one of the consistent parts of the various plan proposals is that it cuts the corporate tax rate from 35% to 20%, yes. right? Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Ooh, That's it's, huge. Yeah. 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 That's what, so, a half a trillion dollars? So when you look at that... First of all, what's your concern about what kind of effect that would have on, on the country as a whole? Well, I mean, someone has to pay for it, and there's always that concern. Like, so if we're going to jam up uh, you know, the, the charges on the credit card, we better have a plan of paying for it. And there is no plan to pay for it. Um, although, you know, there, it, it, for me, the, you know, again, a stimulus package is like, like a bunker, right? Say so you have – or a, my, my grandparents always had all this food stock in their basement, right? They – they lived through the Great Depression and wars and things. And, mm-hmm. But they never ate that food, you see. That was there if ca- in case things went wrong. And a stimulus package like this is that. It's the soups and crackers and all those things that are in your basement in case something goes wrong. Now, the fact that we're eating that for dinner is dangerous because in years we might need it, and it won't be there. 
it won't be there. So why why doesn't this argument hold? On paper, it looks really good, right? <laughs> yeah. That if you cut tax rates for corporations, you make a very business-friendly environment, people are more likely to mm-hmm. take that money, reinvest it back into their companies, into their employees, and eventually there is what has been called sort of a trickle-down effect, right? right? Yeah. That it will all get back to everybody else from the uh-huh. people who create the jobs and drive the economy in the first place. Yeah. Do you buy that? No. Why not? Because um, because it's uh, it's false. Um, Has it ever it, been true at any point in our economy? It isn't because here's the story. As a CEO uh, of a corporation, you have an extraordinarily strong fiduciary duty to your shareholders. It's there. Your life is and everything you do is there for one purpose, and that is to make gains for your shareholders and pass it to them. This is your fiduciary duty. You can't sell things below cost. and There's a lot of things that you can't do. Your, your, your primary duty in life is to hook them up with whatever gains that you can find. Okay. This is a gain. It is fattening the bottom line. And it doesn't belong to the employees. It doesn't belong to the community. It doesn't belong to small business suppliers. It doesn't belong to anybody except the investors. And the investors really aren't going to trickle, trickle it down, considering that the lion's share of investment, at least in the stock exchange, are people above uh, a certain uh, salary and above the, you know, the, the classic working man. Mm-hmm. Is it fair to say, though, because this, all this is sort of an estimation, it's a prediction, right? We are speculating yeah. to some degree, A, about what the final bill will be, but also yeah. about the environment in which it takes place, in what the actual effects could be, right? right. We're right. all kind of guessing to some degree. Is it yeah. fair to say that it might work? Well, no. I'd say that the, uh, the most effective way to get from point A to point B is a straight line. Wouldn't you agree? Okay. So if point B is to get, ta- to get some kind of advantage to the middle class, then why don't you go directly there? Then through the hocus-pocus channels of Wall Street and the rest of it. It just seemed, and with the hopes that maybe something will drool down from the la- rafters and land in your bank account. It just, it simply hasn't worked that way in the past, and we've seen that. The majority of all economists will will agree with me. I mean, just logic agrees with you. So ultimately, I just say, listen, if you want to give a tax break to the people who really deserve it, which everyone agrees here, then do it. So here's what we know to be true, because I do want to incorporate some good information here as we go. And again, bill is changing. The bill is evolving. We don't know how it's going to end up. But there's been a couple of nonpartisan analyses Um, of the bill so far. The CBO has basically said that it would hurt workers earning less than 30,000 a year and would actually, bulk of the benefits would go to the highest earners over the next next decade. And then the Joint Committee on Taxation, which kind of looks at at how things could change, a dynamic scoring, so taking into account future earnings, says that the Republicans' promise that it will pay for itself is not true, that it would actually add a trillion dollars to the deficit. Uh, that's just in the way of information, as we know it so far. Say that, um, at say this that time, number again. 2.30 p.m. <laughs> Eastern Standard oh, Time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right now, it could change any second. It's a very volatile situation. But you said the word one trillion. I did. One trillion. And I should, I should also uh, say Senate leadership says that that's not accurate. It's a conservative estimate. Okay. Uh, oh, so it could for be growth. Low. Sorry, conservatives <laughs> for growth. So that number, the one trillion, could be lower. Okay, all right. Because one trillion sounds like a fairly large number to me. So, what uh, do you know based on what you've seen so far about the plan? How would it affect La Colombe? Well, you know, it La Colombe will get a great break on its taxes, and I, I'm, I'm trying to decide right now what I'm going to do with all that money. What could you do with it? Well, typically, in any other environment, what you would do is just say, oh, I'm amazing, my profit's huger and bigger and amazing, and I'm, I'm a genius, and then the dividends to the shareholders would be bigger. But part of me feels like, 
I don't know, staging some kind of protest and take that money and do something outrageous with it. But it's fair. To, your, your business has been growing. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And so as your profits profits have gone up, mm -hmm. you, as you mentioned before, you've been making good on your fiduciary responsibility yes. to shareholders. Mm -hmm. That's been going back to dividends, yeah. buybacks. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I, I haven't really come to terms with it. I mean, it, it's not fair for me to really answer that question now, because the thing is, I don't want this tax. I don't want it. I don't think anyone else, I think that all the people who I know that run companies or CEOs are looking at each other and going, what's happening? We didn't ask for this, and we know it won't work. And there's, Do you think that that's true? Is that a conversation really going on among yeah, business with, leaders? With the, ones, with the people that are in my circle, yeah. Yeah? And from, yeah, from Silicon Valley to Philadelphia. And what are they saying? They, they don't understand it. Everyone's just a bit shocked by why is this happening? It's suddenly you just got picked out of a crowd and someone wants to spread around a trillion dollars and you get part of that money. And, and, and we're recognizing that this, was, this is to stimulate the middle class. This isn't going to work. We, we know it. And we, we don't have a choice ultimately either. Our shareholders want that money. But I guess there is an element of choice to some degree, right? I mean, there couldn't is. people I mean, as private citizens come to an agreement to basically say, we don't need this and we're not going to use this in the ways that we have in the past. We're going to act differently this time. Right. Could that happen? It could. Well, let's look at some of the events that we've seen over the last week where they've asked, you know, rooms full of CEOs what they would, how, how many people are going to invest this money in like three people out of 80 raise their hands, right? Yeah. Um, and there, I don't think that anyone has a, a significant plan in place yet because it is all very shocking. I mean, it's, it, what's happening in D.C. is shocking to everybody, including the CEOs. How is it shocking? Because Republicans have been trying for years and years <laughs> yeah. to push through a very similar tax reform plan. Right. So why is anyone surprised? Well, I think it's this, kind of the same thing when they, you know, they kept trying to, to you know, push this bill through the House, through the house about um, you know, getting rid of Obamacare. Right. No one thought it was going to go through. Once they just thought they'd fail. Right. Is the whole point is all about making smoke, right? And when they had a shot at it, Everyone became very fearful, like, oh, my God, it's really going to happen. I think we're happening. That's happening again. We're like, oh, my God, this thing's going to happen. We didn't really intend for it to happen. We intended to make no – when I say we, let's say CEOs right. and the people on the, the Republican side of the fence. We, we intend for this to make noise. And, oops, it's actually going to come true. Like, we prayed enough that it actually fell in our laps. And realistically, we realized this is going to damage the economy over time. And it puts us in a very difficult situation. Realistically, we didn't really want it. Mm. Is, is, my, is my theory because I'm stunned. And, uh, you know, other CEOs whom I speak to on the phone are stunned. So yeah. why don't you think more CEOs have spoken out about it as you have? <laughs> well, I don't think they have the, the lip freedoms that I have. And, you know, I, it takes, you know, it, it takes a lot to kind of stand out and, you know, of your work day and, and, and write something like that or to speak these things. It's easier to stay in the boardroom. Uh, Why are your freedoms speaking to speak different than theirs? Well, you know, I, I set out early in my career in coffee. Uh, I, I put, you know, I put uh, a couple things in place that I think are the real ingredients to making a successful company. Mm -hmm. And one of them is disruption. And I, that's who I am. I'm, I'm built to go against the grain, disturbed, to, to flip over categories. You're saying it's part of your company's part culture. Of, part of my ethos. culture, part of my thinking. It's like I'm not here to cooperate with everyone else. I'm here to do what I can to see what I can do to change the world, the world of coffee and the environment around me. Mm -hmm. And so I've, I've got this built into my brand. So, you know, I didn't start the year thinking I'd write all these op-eds. I really didn't. Oh, I shouldn't say that. I didn't think around October of last year that it would have. But when events started, you know, unfolding the way they did, 
I realized that, you know, for at least for me and for my sanity and for my children and my wife, that I'm going to have to come out of the boardroom and I'm going to have to use my voice. Have your shareholders, has your boardroom signed off on that? Are they cool with you breaking tradition <laughs> we're, in this we're way? We're going to find out. Um, <clears throat> you must have spoken with them about there's, it. No. No? I figure I'm going to go until someone says something. How do you see that playing out? <laughs> Just curious. I think that there are times in the, in, in the development of a nation and that you are just solely, you know, clearly uh, on the side of history. And this is now. And I will take on the opinions of anyone else, but this is wrong. There are a lot of things wrong right now. And I will stand up against everything that I think is wrong. And if that... If that means that someone doesn't want to buy a cappuccino from me anymore, well, then it's just going to have to be that way. Why does this one thing matter so much at this point to you? Well, I mean, you know, there's not just this one thing, and it's an accumulation. It's a mosaic that's making a picture that I find that's disgusting. And so this is one piece of it. But keep in mind, you know, listen, I have four children from Africa. And and we have... They, they, there are people who have been spray painting things on bathrooms about my daughter, who's beautiful, and words that just, I've seen this unraveling of a country that I didn't think I lived in. And I didn't think that this country just favored the rich and disfavored the, you know, the affluent or favored the white or favored the straight or favored, I didn't want to, I don't want to live in a country like that. So it's up to, up to me to either move or change it. And I'm not going to move. So I'm going to do what I can to change it. You've mentioned your children are 16 to 5 years old, ranging yeah, yeah, in yeah. age, all four yeah. of them. I got a nice range there. It's a good range. What, um, do, do you talk to them about yeah. all of this, about what you're doing now, about yeah. your responsibility to speak up that you feel? That's funny. It's not unusual. I didn't speak to my shareholders, but I spoke to my children, that's for sure. And almost on a daily basis. Uh, we, I try to help them interpret the world. And a lot of times it's not even very easy for me to, to digest it, right? The... Um, and I know it's very easy, but particularly if you're, if you're lucky enough, you know, you're lucky like I am, you know, that, you know, you get a company that kind of get past that billion dollar mark and you just, life is great and I should just take the man and run. But, you know, there's an arc to that. And there are a lot of people who assisted in that. A lot of people from a lot of different countries, you know, all these employees that don't look like me, that have different religions than I do, that have different, and that, you know, it, it's left me with this kind of huge responsibility and burden to say, hey man, no, I'm not going to shut up. You know, and I'm going to take the time to explain the world to my daughter and say sometimes people aren't good. But it's the times like this that good people open their mouths. I take my kids. They've marched in Washington. They marched. I know I'm, I'm, I'm raising some snowflakes, <laughs> progressive kids. But they're also a source of energy, you know. They really are. And so, you know, you look at uh, what's going on in I mean, really, this is how you grow a great company, right? You, you embrace science and innovation, right? Like America did for all those years. You know, we embraced science, man. And then you embrace the little guy and the day-to-day, everyday person. If you embrace them, like the GI Bill and like, I don't know, the, the New Deal and all this, you put those two things together, you make something great. I stole that and I did it to my company and I built something great. And I turn around and realize that people are dismantling science now. <laughs> Science is relative and it's opinion. I mean, there are flat pe- people who believe in the flat earth now. And then we're not going to embrace the little man. We're going to just do it in words, but not deeds. We're going to promise the middle class that we're going to give them a tax break and then give it to someone else. And then call it that. 
That's just silly talk. Let me ask you about this because you are, you're a successful businessman, right? You've built mm -hmm. a successful company from the ground up. You guys are in how many cities now? I don't know, eight or 10 or so, yeah. Are you international well, too now? A little bit, yeah. Yeah? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you've got these draft lattes now too. Yeah, that's cool. Anyway, listen, when, when you look at, as just as a businessman, as someone who you, you talk to other CEOs, you talk to other people who are trying to steer their businesses or grow their businesses, if not for the incentive of tax cuts, how do you, because you're talking about putting money back into the employees, right? Mm -hmm. Putting it back into the people who build the business, help mm -hmm. you build the business. If not for something like tax cuts or a similar incentive, how do you get people to make those investments? <laughs> I mean, I, are you asking me, how do I get other businesses to do the right thing or... Yes. Okay, that's complicated. How do you get how do you get other businesses to build their businesses the same way that you said you have? I don't know. How about what you, you the first thing I do is I try to inspire them by showing like creating farms in Haiti or whether, wherever you are. What you do is you you lead by showing. Now, the I don't believe that you should ever play a human being less than $15 an hour. Less than that is predatory. And if you're not paying them insurance, you're also preying on them, right? So First thing I do is I just I won't do it. I pay a living wage, right? I know that's difficult for other businesses to do, but how I end up doing it is not because the government's going to give me a tax break. It's because I embrace ingenuity, I embrace science, and I embrace my people. If you put people at the core of your business, you'd be amazed what happens. There are companies that do this already. Look at Wegmans. Is one of the great grocery is one of the most competitive environments on the planet Earth, right? Look at the two grocers who are killing it, right? Number one for me is Wegmans. They have that same policy. You can look at Costco. They seem to be doing pretty well. They're crushing it, $15 on above. If you look at uh, Quick Stop, right, so you think convenience stores, I mean, how, right? Convenience stores, they have to pay their people $7 an hour, right? No, they don't. Stock options, health insurance, because if you put people at the center, it seems scary, right? You have to rely on other people that are below you, right? But if you put them at the center, you'll crush it. Look, I mean, there are enough books out there. There's, there's an entire department at Harvard that's dedicated to looking at this, and they're throwing it out there saying, listen, you don't have to treat your people like some kind of input that's like co copper or tin or electricity. You treat them with the H, the human element, and you'll find that the returns are massive. So we, we built an entire country on that. Let me ask you this. Though. The other complaint that we hear from a lot of business leaders is that foreign competition has put them at a significant disadvantage. Mm -hmm. So how do you, is there a fair way to even that playing field for them that then allows them to be, you know, more fair and equitable towards their employees? How do you fix that? Because that's a larger problem that goes beyond just tax right. cuts or what this government can do. Well, what I, the first question I would ask anyone that was talking to me about that is I would say, okay, let's draw a line somewhere above, like management and above, right? So project managers, people in marketing, different departments, right? Those people with MBAs and stuff like that, they always are, they have to pay these giant competitive wages, they do vested chairs, and they're really, really dedicated to taking care of those people. What they're really saying is, foreign investments made it hard for me to take care of the little guy. That's the only problem they have. It doesn't seem to be a problem when it's taking care of executive staff, which has risen at a rate that's just outrageous. You're saying they're choosing where to put they're choosing the their, money their in excuses a way that too. Feel they're just saying, well, you know, if you actually made it a little bit more equitable, right? What, they, what people end up doing is they say, we really got to take care of this, the, the, our culture and our people. And them. But they're only really including people of a certain like, skill set and above. 
But there are also corporations that say, if I don't move these jobs, for example, overseas, my business will no yeah. longer survive. I need to yeah. protect the business. If the business goes under, it's you know a thousand jobs as opposed to moving two hundred jobs right, overseas right. to save the rest. What do you yeah. say to them? I don't know. I'd have to. I'd have to use it. I mean, it would have to be case by case. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't. I still don't believe that preying on citizens of this country. As, as underpaid employees who will never, ever be able to afford even the smallest thing for their family is the answer. I really don't think that's the answer. I think, how about tweak your model? How about that one? <laughs> you know, tweak the model. Is there, Innovate. Is there a that? scenario <laughs> under which you would support a tax cut, like corporate tax cut down to 20%, like if there were strings attached or if there was a trigger yeah. of some kind? What, what would that be? Oh, yeah. I fear... Uh, I would uh, support that sort of thing when you need to really, like, goose the economy. When you're... Not right now, you're saying. Yeah. I mean, look. Does this look like an economy that needs goosing? Well, I think there are a lot of people <laughs> out there who would say, yeah, the economy's yeah. not been good for me. Right. What you're talking about is the, the, the everyday person. Right. Right. Then give them a tax break. You're right. We're saying the same thing. I'm just saying, it seems to be f strange to, like, if you really want to help, let's say someone... Here, pass the potatoes, right? They're hungry. So you take the bowl of potatoes and you run it down the block and you send it by mail over. It's like, why? Just pass them the potatoes. It's that simple. If the middle class needs a tax break, give it to them. It's a one-liner. So let me ask you this now. <laughs> if you get this unexpected gift, right? Yeah. This additional yeah. profit. This poison present. Coming that, uh, your <laughs> right. way. What, what do you do with it? Is this, is this the time that business leaders could band together to somehow create some plan to say, okay, it's on us now. We're going to be responsible for investing back in our employees. We're going to do things differently to yeah. bring about the kind of change that we know is important. Right. You know, there may be a movement. I mean, it's, it's just so stunning. Are you going to lead it? <laughs> I would if I were asked to, that's for sure. As the I, man who wrote the op-ed saying the, this is what CEOs should Let's all band together. Let's... The, you know, it's, it's just so hard to digest. I feel like I'm in a dream or a nightmare, you know, that it's, I'm having a difficult time finding my bearings because this, this is so illogical and it's so wrong that I didn't think it would really happen. But now it like, is happening. But, and I mean, I, look, and we should I go, also what say do I again, do? the time is now 2.48 on Friday, December the 1st. Yeah. It, it looks as if it still will happen. Things again could change. But there's an, yeah. sort of an inevitability to it now. We're in it. I know. You're in it. I know. So I'm in now? it. I, now I got to think about it. You know, what I would, we know would be great is to do something radical. Like, so it's a trillion bucks. What's our, what's our, uh, our student loans around? You know, national student loans are about a trillion, right? Yeah. That'd be great. Instead of doing the corporate thing, just forgive those. That would have been a great thing to do. Just imagine, because all those, now those students, instead of paying those loans back, they can buy cars and homes and more food and more, more coffee, delicious coffee. Um, they could you do, worked like, it in eventually. I know. I, you know how it's going there. <laughs> the, uh, you like, mentioned I mean, forgiving student loan debt, though. I feel like a collective cheer just went up across young well, America. But that was but, what, when, the, you know, when someone else, you know, said, mentioned that that what could be a, something we would do, we, we all called that guy crazy. Right? But instead of giving the trillion dollars to the students, to the, the student loan, we're going to give it to corporate America. And, you know, it eventually will become dividends and then it'll kind of probably get reinvested in other stocks. And then where, where we go. So why... Why come out in this way now? You mentioned, you know, kind of wanting to stand up at this particular point in American history. Mm -hmm. 
you could go about, you do a lot of philanthropy as right. is already yeah. built into your business as part of your business mm -hmm. model on the side personally. You could continue to impact that same right. kind of change on the local level, on the international level as you have. Mm -hmm. Why come out in like a public way now? Yeah, well, I, I think there's multiple reasons. For me, there always has to be kind of a hodgepodge of reasons. You know, one of them I remember is that the, you know, I look at some of these leaders that think like I do um, uh, along the East Coast. And they have this exposure where the other team uh, accuses them of not understanding business. And there they are, like defenseless. Whereas the other side, they have everybody that stands up and goes, yes, you know, I'm a businessman and that guy's a businessman and we're all business. And Do you get accused of not understanding business? No, but oh, let's say, say other I don't business know, leaders. Senator Bob Casey, for example, mm -hmm. right? Great senator out of Pennsylvania. He's just never been in business. Great leader. And he, uh, he, he believes, as I do, that this is just silly, silly pants. This is what we're dealing with, this, this tax break. And he gets this, he gets attacked from all these different angles saying, well, what do you know? You don't know anything about business. You've never been a CEO. Hmm. So I realized that these guys need a friend who is in business. And so I stood up for them and said, well, uh, I'm a CEO and let me just tell you what it is. You wouldn't believe how many emails I received from other CEOs saying, here, here. Right on, brother. Really? Oh, yeah. Because everyone does know it. They do. It's like the king has no clothes. But who's going to say that? Probably the slow farm boy is going to point that out finally. Do you think but, any of those other CEOs would speak out publicly? I guess that everyone has their own thing, you know. Would you encourage any of them to speak out yeah. publicly? I, I've been trying. You have? Mm -hmm. And what's the response been? Ultimately, there's a fear I think, because of what shareholders might say? I think a lot of their public personality is owned by the company. And they, they really need to make sure that they don't compromise for the company. But there are certain leaders. I mean, you'll see in the West Coast, like Silicon Valley, they're more like me. Everyone's like, screw that. They tweeted immediately. Right? It's like everybody. They just don't have the same kind of. I think I'm, maybe that's what it is. I'm a West Coast guy, and I've come to the East Coast, and I just won't behave as much as <laughs> they people expect me to. Right? You've also built your business in Philly. And I built it in Philly. that warrior spirit right, in anybody. Exactly. And I say that as someone who spent a good amount of time in yeah. Philly. You've been doing these Eagles game, right? But now, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah you got to fight. So why, I guess you're talking to people privately. You're doing what you can by speaking out and trying to spread the word as, as mm -hmm. you believe it to be true. Do you have hope that you're going to change anything? You know, the lawmakers will yeah. do what the lawmakers want to do. Yeah. And the people who actually have the power to change things are the people with yeah. the money. And that's, yeah, you gotta, you're following that group. You gotta, you gotta, so I do guess. you have hope that you can change anything? I mean, I do for a couple different reasons. One is because I think that when whatever that's in the, uh, you know, the, the air right now that's creating people who hallucinate will, will dissipate. People will sober up eventually, particularly if you get burned, right? So you, you think, oh, this is great. We're going to get this, this amazing. In three years, that, under this existing plan, in three years, people are going to be so, oh, they're going to be in pain. And when you feel that pain. Number two is that everything that I've ever been able to accomplish that's worthwhile in my life took time. So, you know, I was the first man in history to walk from the edge of Antarctica to the South Pole, right? I read about that. So um, now That, that sounded horrifying, by the yeah, way. Yeah, it was. But here's the point is that it didn't <laughs> happen in a day, man. It didn't happen in two days. It's 14 hours a day all alone, pulling 275 pounds up, 14,000 feet and across the just trudging and trudging and falling and being blown over. It's 100 below zero. And you just keep going and going. And eventually, bink, you get to the pole. And you set a world record, too, I right? Set a world we point out. We set, like, and it, whether it's that's just a side note, you set a world record. Just, yeah, that's a throw-off. Just, <laughs> let's just throw that off. The, uh, 
but no, but it reminds me of that. I mean, sometimes when I enter, you know, the, uh, you know, I, sh- I don't want to say a race, but almost like a path like this one, I'm reminded of that, that this isn't something that I think I could just scream and yell in three days, it's going to be over. No, I'm ready. The, the winner is the last guy standing. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be one of those last guys standing. And I just, just continue going. And I think that over time, people just get more and more sober and they start seeing things that, uh, that, that's more in line with, with truth and reality. So you've never shied away from a new challenge? No. This is clearly very important to you right now. Yeah. Are you going to run for office? No. No. No plans? Nope. Mm. You never. hired a political consultant? I told my wife, she's, because, yeah, well, he's my civic engagement, whatever. The, I told my wife I would <laughs> wait, run for wait, office. Wait, no, 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 wait. The man you hired works for a company, and every single client yeah. or former client on their website is either a political advocacy group yeah. or a political candidate. That's so which right. one are you? Ooh, no, I'm a guy who writes checks. That's what I do. And You're the ooh. one non-political client. That's right. Okay. Yeah. And I'm gonna try no announcements to, you want to make today? I'm going to try to hire him. Oh, no. I told my wife I'd run for office, and there's only one case I would. Zombie apocalypse. There's like 19 of us left, and I got a gun. Okay, okay. I will be a leader. Okay, I will do what I can to be a leader. Uh, that is a very specific <laughs> Just exactly it. I, uh, I admire people who are in office. I support them. I want to be a part of uh, you know the infrastructure that that uh, that helps people in their careers and, and get in, into office and do the right thing. Um, I'm just not I'm just not made for this. This is not what I'm made for. Um, and uh, and I, the thing is, I, I absolutely, I, I, if you separated me from my company, I think I would shrivel and die. I need her. I mean, I need her. She's everything. I built her. It's 24 years, and I want another 24. I want to be pushed out of my company in a wheelchair with a little blanket on my hand, <laughs> yelling at someone. The, that, that's who I am. But I want to use that, you know. And I think there are other great business leaders who affect change, like Cook, and you know, you can even look at some of the guys in Oregon and who say, you know what, if you're a leader, then it's a wider scope than sometimes just your company. There's, you know, there are neighborhoods in Philadelphia that need me, and I'm going to make sure that I'm there. There are schools that, that, that don't have supplies, so what am I going to do if I'm a leader? And, you know, you probably might, if, if people were sane in D.C. right now, you wouldn't even hear my voice. It wouldn't matter. I, I wouldn't matter. They don't need me. It just right now, I think that the general dialogue just needs maybe me. And the reason I say that is because I think there's probably about three or four CEOs are going to watch this and say, yeah, me too. I'm going to say something. This is too crazy. What do you hope your kids will learn by watching you go through all this now? Well, I think that, you know, I, I always, the way I say it to my wife is I want, I want our kids to see dad hunt and kill, right? Which is kind of a gross way of saying it. Too. We're not hunters. We don't have guns. But no, you go out and you, you provide and you bring home, right? This is something important. And I'm not just talking money. I'm talking about that you're engaged in life, that you're, you know, you, you, know, you have this short little space of time on this planet. You know, make it worthwhile, and the only way you can make that worthwhile is, is by you know, tallying up the good that you provided and you brought to other people. That's it. So this is where I hope they see me. And they're, they're, they're proud of me. I mean, they've, and I'm proud of them. I got some really amazing kids. And, uh, and I want them to see that, you know, you don't have to roll over. You know, these are Ethiopian little kids that get run over sometimes. And we talk about race at home and they get... And I just tell them, you know, it, it, this is not about being run, run over. It's about this is a call to arms for you, not to hate that person, to make changes. This is what you do. And they are, you know. 
Sounds like you've been having some very serious conversations. Dude, yeah, my six-year-old, he's he's in. Yeah, <laughs> I go downstairs. He watches. I swear to God, we watch your new channel. I go downstairs. He's six and he's watching the news. Like he's just like I. I mean, and he's probably blown away, going, "Dad, are you serious?" <laughs> the, uh, you know, we're teaching them how to really be engaged in the greater life. It's life is more than just you know, you know, amassing wealth for yourself. Wealth is measured in a lot of different ways. You know, it's what impact and, and really what are you going to do? You know? Measured one coffee cup at a time, right? Exactly. See how I worked it back in You there? did. Thank you. Note the time. It is 2.58. We're yeah. ending our conversation. If everything changes in the tax plan after this, we're not responsible for okay, okay. knowing about it. If it dies, yeah. then I'll come back. And we'll I just, mean, I hope you'll come I'll bring some anyway. champagne and we'll just party. <laughs> Says the coffee <laughs> guy. can watch us party. Uh, Todd Carmichael, thank you so much for being thank here. You. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening to Uncomfortable. Each of our episodes is now available on the TuneIn app. TuneIn is a free mobile audio app available across iOS, Android, and Windows. Download it for free today and listen to the latest episodes of Uncomfortable five days before they're released. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and at abcnews.com. And if you like what we're doing, take a minute, leave us a rating and a quick review. It helps others to find these conversations, and we really just want to hear what you think. Plus, we have made it easy. Just click on the link in the description of this episode. And if you have an idea for a show topic or a guest, leave it in the reviews. Or you can tweet at me, at Navazistan. That's N-A-W-A-Z-I-S-T-A-N. Or use our hashtag, Uncomfortable Talk. Uncomfortable is a product of ABC News. New episodes post every two weeks on Tuesday mornings. And don't forget, episodes are released five days early on the TuneIn app. I'm Amna Nawaz. Thanks for listening.